It's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt engage in discussion about pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. It's three guys in a basement sitting around rapping, and two of those guys are sitting across the table from me, Ray Gusnelli, your host. One of them is my brother, Paul. Good morning. Gusnelli, we call him Dr. Zen. The other is Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, who we call the greatest of all sinners. Good to see you, Ray. Good to see you guys as well. I trust you had a good couple of weeks. It's been two since our last podcast. Good times? Good times. Absolutely. Let me start. Can I? Please do. So I've watched the Louis C.K. stand-up on Netflix, giving it five stars. Watched his show, Louis, giving it five stars. However, I watched his recent comedy store stand-up show and experienced a philosophical, nay, perhaps existential crisis. Oh, my. Hopefully it wasn't painful. I want to talk about online ratings, um, which I know you're both passionate about. Um, do I rate him relative to himself? Mm-hmm. Do I rate him relative to other comedy or other movies or Citizen Kane or what? I was realized that I don't have a good grasp on my own algorithm for ratings. Um, the Comedy Store show was fine, but a bit uneven. Uh, certainly we can agree there is no one in America better qualified and suited to judge Louis C.K.'s comedic and artistic quality than Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, no, the sir. greatest of all sinners. Absolutely not. Uh, There were funny bits and profound bits, as oftentimes is with Louis Mm -hmm. Uh, C.K. You're going to have to Google it. There's a a skit on a a bit on the N-word and the forklift that you'll be thinking about for a couple of weeks. It's funny, but it also makes you think. So uh, you'll have to see it yourself. I'm no spoiler giver. But I think (laughs) that um, what I'll probably give his show uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award five stars, even though I don't think it deserves a Louis K five stars. Maybe a 4.5, maybe a (laughs) 4, something like that. So I ask you guys, uh, the Augustinelli brothers, Rand Paul, how do you rate your online content? Well, Jeff, first off, get a grasp of your algorithm. We don't want that loose. (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay. And I think it's charming that you're really looking at the nuance of your actual rating online, whether you should give them four and a half (laughs) or five. It is somewhat charming. We've got a reversion to the mean. Everybody gets a four on Yelp or a four on Amazon. I think fundamentally the impact of your rating is is the the same as Rex Reed reviewing movies. He's just going to shout that it's really good for anything he likes, and he's not going to say anything to anything you doesn't like actually which I think probably never happened in the history of his career so basically give it five stars or give it none or give it or give it or one that's all you got I, I, I find myself reverting to the mean, I have to confess. I'm one of the people who probably do wind up, you know, I guess like you, Jeff, giving the four because it's a little hard to for me to interpret how it's going to be interpreted. And um, I, I, I don't want to be too severe uh, and I don't want to be too adulatory. You know, I always find something to dislike. Nothing's perfect. But I, at the same time, these, you know, culture products that I'm rating are things that uh, usually I find something to like in. So... Yeah, kind of speaks to the the, 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 the flaws in, in sort of the rating system itself in some ways, I suppose. So how will our people, <laughs> the legions of Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners fans, rate us when theoretically we have an off week? And it's, you know, and, and, and our podcast is not the normal stars exploding in your visual field podgasm. 
that is the spiritual <laughs> yes. slash sexual yes. wow. Dr. Zen of the Greatest of All Sinners. Right. Will they give us the highest of all available ratings on iTunes as they should mm-hmm. uh, as compared to the vast podcast wasteland that is our competition? Mm-hmm. Or ding us because of our own comedic and wisdom spewing standards are so dang high. I th- if I can do it, and I think I might be able to, I'm going to game the system so people can only give five star ratings for us on on whatever oh, sites they're that's in, so good they're doing. And if not, I'm going to hire a hacker to go in uh, behind the scenes onto these sites and just basically juice everything up to five anyway. Well, even if about, that wasn't a five. what about after Spinal Tap? We just we just give everything a six. Give ourselves a six. Because it's it's more than five, Ray. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. No, I was trying to. Uh, I was trying to think. Well, why not eleven? If we're going to use the greatest of all sinners, the greatest of all sinners will take the comedy from here on. Out. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, what else you got? What else you got? <laughs> you both have seen men's room urinals, haven't you? Uh, once or twice. Yes. <laughs> How can so much male urine wind up not in the urinal proper? Fecal plume. <laughs> Oh, whoa! Just another theme. I just didn't see that coming. Yeah, you thought I was the one who always classed down the, the podcast, but uh, Ray uh, brings it. Uh, brought the wood today. That's great. Um, what kind of anatomical slash physiological psychological breakdown must you have to not be able to hit the bull? They make little toilet bullseye targets for little boys to help them be toilet trained. Or clever moms may even toss in a couple of Cheerios into the bowl to help little men with their aim and uh, up the entertainment value of the experience. Would that help in big boy bathrooms, you two? (laughs) Don't answer. It was rhetorical. Cheerios. Can can anything be done to aid the deplorable condition of our men's room floors? Perhaps we will start to see... Our fans of Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners starting to use their 3D printers to churn out little pleasant-smelling uh, Dr. Z and GOAS targets in fashionable men's restrooms. <laughs> that would be a thing to behold and a great thing to come upon in some, you know, movie theater men's room is a Dr. Zen and Greatest of All Sinners little plastic. <laughs> we'll know we made there. it. We'll yeah. know we made it. That will be the sign we have arrived. And it, maybe we should just offer that a swag on our uh, Dr. Z and GOAS website. Indeed. We'll get a merch. Uh, line going and be able to go there. Well, part of my job is to uh, segue artfully from uh, one topic to the next. And since we're now when are you going to start doing urinals? Hopefully, right now, except for the artfully oh, part, as, okay. we, as we think about urinals and pivot to Uber. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? Both words begin with you. So there is the artful pivot. Okay. I'm going to talk herbal. Okay. Let's bring it down. Let's get sober. Uber reportedly lost one. $1.2 billion in the first half of 2016. So even by the standard of Amazon's massive losses over decades, this seems like an eyebrow-raising ding on the balance sheet. Does this portend the end of the sharing economy, or is it just a meaningless blip on the way to Uber's world domination? <laughs> Dr. Zen, what do you think? I, what do I think? I'm interested in what Jeff thinks about this, but i got to give you credit, Ray, for being even timelier than timely on this one, because just this morning, Uber was uh, announced that there was an antitrust investigation into their merger with Didi Chu Xing, which is the Chi- yes, Didi, the Chinese version of Uber, which is mm-hmm. fun to say, if not to drive it. I, I, I don't know. But I don't think 
Uber is ultimately a sharing economy. I think it's. I think that's kind of a pretense. It's not carpooling. It's not me giving you. It, it is a person giving somebody else a ride for money. It's a. I would call it a micro commoditization of my goods and services for oh. your short term use. Mm-hmm. If we were talking about bodies, what would we call it? Prostitution. Uh-huh. The whore economy. The whore economy. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, I think the gig economy is a really good idea. It's a wonderful idea, but as with so much in American capitalism, Uber takes it to its most voracious, monopolistic, even monstrous extreme. They're actually calling Uber the on-demand economy or even the selfish economy. As in, people want what they want, they want it now, and companies will be created to efficiently meet that demand. You think about Amazon drones and where the hell that is going. So the, the Uber dictum, and for that matter, Amazon's, could be not the, the classic, the customer is always right, but the demand must always be satisfied as quickly as possible. And I think there's something weird about that. The customer isn't always right, and to think that all demands must be satisfied as quickly as possible, it leads to ever-increasing demand generation so someone can make money off of satisfying it. Capitalism perpetually runs this risk of supporting toxic dimensions of demand and greed, and that could be the next step with Uber. Scary. Ooh, toxic. I'm a little more positive, as I usually am. Uh, he's such a bummer, he the is doctor's a, is. Sinners yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, we're a lot more fun. Yeah, sinners are more fun. Um, so, you know, Uber, I don't think, is a classic bubble story, because Uber turned a profit in, in the first quarter. Uh, not just an example of mania. And speaking of mania, um, when I think of a bur- uh, bubbles bursting and whether or not this economy is maintainable and that sort of thing, especially in the light of tech giants and, and money to be made, I love Charles Mackey's Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, a great classic book detailing great booms and busts like the South Sea Company. I know you guys lost some money in that. Uh, the Mississippi Company. <laughs> Why did you uh, remind us? And the Dutch tulip mania of early 17th century. Yeah. I understand you guys still have a t-shirt from that. So that's Indeed. nice. Yes. I think the sharing economy, and I do think that there's plenty good about the sharing economy, will survive and would survive the bursting of the Uber bubble, at least with Lyft and other providers. But I don't think that's going to happen. There's a ton of money still coming in, and I think a ton of money to be made. And not necessarily in a monstrous or an ugly way, but in a way that will hopefully make people money, but also make people happy and serve a uh, consumer need. Great. Different takes on Uber. Slight thumbs down, slight thumbs up. (laughs) Story remain to be told, um, which we'll, I imagine, revisit in podcasts ahead. So great observations, guys. Let's move on to our second topic, which is sports-related. This past week, we've had two premier athletes in the news in ways that may well determine their legacy for years to come. Colin Kaepernick is refusing to stand for the national anthem. Hope Solo called her noble Scandinavian opponents cowards. What do you guys think? Are these athletes villains, heroes, neither, or both? Well, I think that Hope is um, is a bit of a convenient villain right now. Um, a stunningly gifted goalkeeper, maybe the most gifted female goalkeeper on the planet right now. Stunningly beautiful and mean as a snake, apparently. Um, she is a soccer wall that cannot be breached with profound impulse control issues. I think Pia Sunhaga's Swiss national team can be criticized for style points in some kind of sportsman pers- sports person-like way. Um, but not on the result. They did great. 
And it's it seems like it's maybe more of a criticism of the sport than the side. Soccer is put together so you can bunker in, run out the clock, and win the crapshoot is the shootout. That's right. La- lacrosse has similar flaws. But we require the id and the superego, particularly in an Olympic context and that supposed spirit, to have discussions with one another before athletes speak, and I call it the parliament of reason, where notions you have, both brilliance and bullshit, get voted up or down before it flies out of the front of your face. <laughs> and for Hope Solo, at least it seems like uh, the parliament is not in session. <laughs> I think that Colin Kaepernick is makes uh, more ambivalent about that, because he is effectively mining the, the current zeitgeist, and, and his the issues at hand are enormously important. And you know what? We're paying more attention to it because of what he did. And so for what that's worth, there's something there. But I think that it's, it is done by what is uh, not an Ollie-like transcendent greatest of all sports, but a, a bit of a fading football meteor and, and in a ham-handed, if not certainly headline-grabbing way. And, and the recent T-shirt where he has where he's hitching his wagon to the racist-slash-tyrant mule team of Fidel Castro and Malcolm X is curious and regrettable. A legendary human, humanitarian disaster and a candidate for the Mount Rushmore of American racism. Attention-grabbing check, alienating check, an Ollie-like important statement. It seems like that's hardly the case right now. <laughs> what do you think, Doctor Zach? Kaepernick is, is kind of a, a, a social national psychodrama being played out, as you point out. And I think hope, hope is more of a family psychodrama, team psychodrama. You bring those out. I feel very slim, similar to you, but I'm going to be more extreme in my, in my assessments uh, of, of the two. Kaepernick is being vilified for something he didn't do. Let's look at this. It's interesting. It's a classic, and I, and I feel even admirable gesture of nonviolent resistance in the vein of Gandhi's Satyagraha, arguably the most evolved political sensibility of the 20th century, at least I believe so. And I would ask anyone who experiences a negative reaction to Kaepernick sitting down for the anthem, ask, why are you so exercised by the sight of a man sitting on a bench doing nothing? Is, is it so important to you that he rise, salute, sing, and honor. I think it's a very powerful uh, gesture that he's making, and it's one that is particularly relevant in the context of a football team. Yes, he may be a fading football meteor, as you put it, Jeff, but football uniquely celebrates our warrior values, which include grace and fairness, as well as strength and power, and I think it's very legitimate in the context of football to question our institutions of power, particularly at this time in the evolution of our society. Hope, on the other hand, she's being vilified for what she has done and said. She's lashed out verbally at a lot of people, including her ex-coach, as you guys have talked about. And to me, it's the height of unsportsmanship. As an athlete myself and a soccer player myself, I'm embarrassed for her. I'm embarrassed for her team. I'll also say, again, as a soccer player, that soccer goalies are usually bat bleep crazy. (laughs) And so I'm giving her a certain amount of that. She does deserve some leeway, but she's gotten plenty of it throughout her career. It's time to move on. 
I was once a uh, very accomplished goalie on a team that you guys played on, and so I resemble and resent that remark. <laughs> and I appreciate the fact that you believed yourself, so we didn't have to don't have to oh, do it in post production. So <laughs> Thank He's you very so much. Good. Hey, let's move on to a geopolitical question for you guys. It's been an eventful last couple of years in Brazil: the World Cup, followed by the Olympics, followed by the impeachment and removal just this past week from office of President Dilma Rousseff. Give me your guys' reflections on what's going on in Brazil. <laughs> High Shakespearean drama in South America. At first, I thought from the headlines this this was a classic tale of corruption and 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 battles between you know competing bad guys. But I looked into it as I'm sure you guys did too. And what I discovered was that what the experts are saying that she was impeached on what analysts universally describe as minor charges that the people who impeached her were exploiting the popular will and the letter of the law to serve their own interests rather than the interests of democracy. And there's political science professors at Iowa State of all places, experts on Brazil, um, saying, quote, these charges don't rise to the level of the kind of accusations that would merit impeachment, adding it's not a legitimate use of the impeachment proceedings. And all of this starts to look like a kind of calculated re-grab of power by an aristocratic elite class. Um, there's there, Rousseff is apparently the leader of the Workers' Party, mm -hmm. People's Party in Brazil, and the proceedings do have an element of class warfare to them, with elites seizing back power from this popularly elected official. And apparently there was this photograph that went, went viral, you guys might have seen it, with a well-to-do middle-class couple walking to the protest part, protest part of the city to wage their uh, dis disrespect for, for Rousseff while their maid pushed their <laughs> child in a stroller That's behind handy. them. Ooh. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I th this does happen in unstable times, especially when aristocratic power is being threatened. Popularly elected leaders get ostracized and get threatened and impeached in our modern parlance. I'm thinking back to Themistocles back in ancient Greece. Me too. Right? <laughs> Just <laughs> natural. I mean, everybody. Yeah, me really. Yeah, I, I almost didn't even well. need to say it. Led the Battle of Salamis, was a populist, <laughs> and was kicked out of the Athenian Republic um, because the aristocratic elites didn't like him. And so it's it, it happens all the time. We've got our arist aristocracy versus democracy. We've got a Magna Carta moment here in oh, Brazil. Magna good. Carta oh, moment. Oh, wow. Let's trademark that phrase. So, you know, it's the most uh, world's most convenient impeachment vote days after the Olympic closing ceremonies. I also love the fact that she can run for president at the next election cycle. <laughs> we, you've done something so horrific. We must, we must uh, have a political coup of sorts. But next time, Throw your hat in the ring. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, I, you know, listen, the Olympics went well for the host country. And uh, I would have bet you a nickel that it would have gone the other way. So this is a bad look. Uh, it seems certainly like they're trying to get Capone on tax evasion rather than whatever supposed bad things that she was to have done. But it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out because uh, we may see her again. 
It will be interesting indeed. I'm fascinated by the fact that it is high political theater in the Shakespearean vein with these aristocratic notions and by comparison with the political theater going on in America nowadays, which many, including us here, have compared more to a circus, a circus-like theater. Um, it's, it's, it's somewhat refreshing in some ways to see such high stakes, <laughs> such high drama, uh, and such activity. A little there, more so. gravity down there. A little bit more gravity, but um, tragic perhaps in its own way, certainly substantial. Let's move on to... The EpiPen. Well, <laughs> we must. Sure. Mustn't we? Yes. It's a good segue. It's we an must. artful segue. We must. Thank you. The EpiPen is a life-saving device for many with extreme allergies, and this device was marked up by its marketer, Myelin, from about 60 bucks to many, many hundreds of dollars. Is this healthy capitalism or is this vulture capitalism? Is this somehow kind of a clean part of the process of America or is this evil profiteering? Um, greatest of all sinners, what do you have to say? Yes. <laughs> wow. It's, it starts out as vulture capitalism, and I think that's one of the great self-healing mechanisms of capitalism, is that you can go out and you can do something as a vulture, and you can charge way too much for the EpiPen, and what's going to happen is exactly what happened. And that is, is now there's a flood of people coming to the market providing EpiPen uh, uh, substitutes at a much lower price that allows them to make a profit without it being profiteering. And so, in my mind, uh, it certainly has an ugly feel to it. And, and I think that whenever people are able to act on their own self-interest, there are going to be bad actors, and hopefully you have a system that takes care of it. In my past life, you guys know that I was a futures and an options trader mm -hmm. at times, and we would often hear the chestnut as traders about that pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. The idea is that we can all get at the trough and you can all eat and you can take care of yourself, but the moment you start being a hog and taking stuff from other people and acting like you're, you're selfish and all those difficult things, that's when you get slaughtered. Roughly meaning you can take your profits on things, but if you get greedy enough, bad things happen, including other people coming in and stealing your money market share. So I think that the markets are adjusting nicely to something that was frankly very ugly. If someone charges way too much for EpiPens almost overnight, there will be someone else supplying that market cheaply and safely in a way they can still make a profit. So I think that capitalism is, is the best engine for medicine and progress in the history of the world. I challenge you to name the super drugs and medical breakthroughs coming from Yemen and Venezuela. The magic comes from folks that are incented to act in both their benefit and also that, that of mankind in a way that the markets will punish them if they are, act like hogs. So Adam Smith aptly writes, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher and the brewer or the baker that we expect our dinner. Or the candlestick maker. For those of us that are eating candles, <laughs> thank you, But or, the, or, the, or Big Pharma, but for the regard their regard to their own interest. And the same applies to medicine. So listen, libertarian breaks down when tanneries are dumping toxic crap into your creek by being greedish, greedy and selfish assholes like hogs. And capitalism breaks down in the same way when companies behave in monopolistic ways and gouge people by being greedy, selfish assholes and hogs. But you know what? It's all gonna work out. What do you think? <laughs> well, you're brilliant, Jeff, and you're well-educated, and you're eloquent in your defense. But And I love <laughs> your metaphor. But, and, but, and, 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 but <laughs> this metaphor of the vultures being healing is quite 
Charming. It's like usually the vultures are the ones who come to pick at the carcass after it's died. There's the time for healing is long past. You give vultures a bad name. I just calling a calling a spade a spade. A vulture a vulture. Um, I'd like to think hogs get slaughtered. I didn't know that 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 you know slogan before. And perhaps sometimes they do, but I don't think that happens as often as it should. I don't think the self correctingness of the mechanism is at its highest peak for the greatest uh, health of our of our polity here. Um, the rules of the game do support self-interest. I think that's okay in an Adam Smithian way, but they also do support greed, uh, which I think is not. And and the the challenge of us all is to find the line, you know, where where that line is, and to try to negotiate it admirably. And and there's a lot of opportunity for uh, for slip ups. Indeed. Well, great stuff. Uh, d- difficult issue and great reflections from uh, different sides of the uh, equation there. Um, we like to reflect on this podcast upon the recently deceased, particularly when they uh, are impactful on our lives and we have uh, memories, fond or otherwise. And this past week, Gene Wilder died. And I know that we are all of an age where we do have memories of Gene Wilder moments, Gene Wilder movies. And I thought I would pose to you guys uh, to uh, reflect back and let us know what was your fondest Gene Wilder moment. So acting as a comedic and a podcasting vulture, I would like to hover above Gene Wilder at this moment. <laughs> and pick at his carcass? Oh my. <laughs> or heal him. <laughs> well, Dr. Zen, what do you say? Give us a moment. I love Gene yeah. Wilder. He was fantastic. I think my favorite was uh, Willy Wonka. It's a really oh, creepy bad. performance, but one that stays with me, you know, now decades later. Lovable creepy. creepy. Yeah. Lovable, creepy, great, great talent. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I'm a huge Gene Wilder fan. I uh, love Blazing Saddles, uh, Willy Wonka, which I think if you rewatch Willy Wonka, it's not nearly as creepy as you think. Tim Burton put it way over the top with the super creepy. Besides the, the unbelievably uh, terrifying uh, tunnel scene, which, again, is not Wilder. That's, that's from the mind of Roald Dahl. But nevertheless, uh, almost all of my Gene Wilder moments, my favorites, are from Young Frankenstein, 1974. So spectacular. At, at, at family meals in the greatest of all sinner household, uh, we will still trade lines from that movie, um, which gives you some context as to why I always cry out, Taffeta, darling, when anyone moves uh, to touch me, and then I titter madly. Um, the train station farewell scene in Young Frankenstein, okay. which you must immediately uh, YouTube after this, okay. where Dr. Friedrich Frankenstein and his betrothed Elizabeth is transcendent. Maybe the greatest comedic scene in all of movie history. Google it, kids. And by the way, the response to Taffeta, darling, is... Taffeta, sweetheart. So spectacular Gene Wilder. But is Madeline Kahn's performance in that scene perhaps also the greatest female performance of comedic movie history? It's a great scene. And uh, it's interesting to me because I oftentimes feel as the the greatest of all sexists when I'm talking about (laughs) men and the great scenes. But Madeline Kahn is transcendent in that. Them together with Mel Brooks and that team that brought us so much comedy. Um, he will be missed. Uh, in, in six stars for that, eh? <laughs> six stars, that's right. Good, so just to be clear, it is the, the train departure scene from Young Frankenstein. Yes, sir. Wilder and Khan. Okay, so that's the thing to Google. And uh, before we move off the topic, I just want to throw my uh, hat in the ring to yes. give a vote for the producers. Uh, Wilder as Leo Bloom and the fabulous springtime for Hitler. Uh, you know, so in fact, I, I may insist that we... That 
we sing ourselves out of this podcast in a, a few minutes uh, with that as our outro. But we'll see if we can inspire ourselves to height of zaniness. That's just a public service. <laughs> that's just <laughs> taking care of people. We maybe can't <laughs> not do that, right. but we'll see. Yeah, that's got to happen. That's got to happen. <laughs> in, the, in the public interest, for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, Not self-gratification or self-indulgence by any means. Oh, no, yeah. no, it's not about that. Jeff, give us, give us a final topic to go off on. So, um, most insipid song lyrics ever. Talk oh, songs? We, we oh, talked yes. a tiny bit about okay. it, yeah, but we've yeah, been riffing. Yeah, yeah. And so, so uh-huh. I want to start with Love the Beach Boys. Uh-huh. Big fan. Believe they're as important as the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Brian Wilson's coming to town, uh, Denver, in October 4th for his 50th anniversary, uh, celebrating Pet Sounds, the 50th anniversary of Pet Sounds. But the Beach Boys' Little St. Nick Christmas song is awful and uh, and the line where they, and they say it over sing it over and over christmas comes each time this year awful drives me so nuts accurate but insipid or human league i would like to suggest this one to you the song human that wonderful ode to infidelity where joanne catherall plaintively and inexplicably croons i am just a man no, you're not. <laughs> you're very obviously not, Joanne. So, uh, what about you guys? Most insipid song lyrics nominees. Great question. I've got to go with Alanis Morissette. Ironic. You guys remember that song? Yeah, from the sure. 90s? Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, I had to look it up a little bit because it always seemed to be a bit off. But irony is a situation where you expect one thing, you get the other, and it's amusing. That's what it's like. And her images are like everything in that song is not ironic. <laughs> it's an old man turns 98. He won the lottery and died the next day. I can make that funny. <laughs> There's a black fly in your Chardonnay. That's not funny. That's not funny or ironic. It's a death... <laughs> this one, yeah. There's a, it, is, it is a death row part in two minutes too late. That's not funny. That's tragic. No, that's, that's tragic. tragic. That's tragic. <laughs> it may not be insipid. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. <laughs> but I need to call her out. I am just going to recite the lyrics and hope that wow. their insipidity speaks for themselves. Wow. Rubbing sticks and stones together <laughs> makes the sparks ignite. <laughs> and the thought of loving you is getting so exciting. Sky rockets uh, in flight. Afternoon delight. delight. And it goes on thusly for many a verse. That doesn't even rhyme, dude. It doesn't even rhyme, not particularly well. Let me let me riff off a couple more. Please Carly do. Simon. Yes. Okay, and this is inexplicable to me. The song "You're So Vain." You probably think this song is about you. It is about <laughs> him. It's about him. By definition, it? you yeah, crazy psycho bitch. <laughs> You're singing a song called "You're So Vain." He's the your, and he's that whole thing. I've never understood that. I've never been able to put that together. But one thing I was struggling with a little bit this morning, maybe reconcile it, maybe I didn't. You guys will help me decide. Rachel Bloom, you know, crazy ex-girlfriend, YouTube sensation. She has uh, the uh, YouTube clip called um, F-U-C-K-Me Ray Bradbury. Mm -hmm. F-Me Ray Bradbury. Mm -hmm. Very funny. 
Um, I believe that the greatest, uh, Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners is going to be responsible single-handedly for putting that clip over the four million view mark right oh, yeah. away. Okay. At the end of it, she's uh, riffing naughtily about Ray Bradbury and having sex with him. And at the end, she says, uh, something wicked this way will come. Mm-hmm. And then she uh, speaks, uh, by come, I mean ejaculate on a book, which I couldn't get my head around. I didn't understand that. But as men who have had women have sex with us just for our intellectual prowess alone, I thought, wait a minute, that's fair, that's good, because I've finished on a book for someone before, and that makes a... Are you... Is that not? I'm not. Speaking for myself, I'm not sure I'm with you on this one. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe the the greater mass of mankind is. That's weird. uh, Dr. Zen, I don't know where you stand on this. (laughs) I made this awkward. (laughs) Drawing a blank. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, I I can guarantee you we're not going to end the podcast on that because we can't. Okay. All right. (laughs) We're going to have to end it on something else. And I suggest. (laughs) Oh, no. Firstly, Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was, it was great. For a good Love week. you guys. We will be back nice. next week with another uh, installment of Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. It's been a great week and great uh, comments from both you guys. And I think we're going to have to just it's sing so ourselves sad. out with, so with something. Do it. With springtime for Hitler and Germany. One more time. Springtime for Weddings. I prefer old-fashioned wedding night. Oh, you're incorrigible. Does that mean you love me? You bet your boots it does. Oh, my only love. Taffeta, darling. Taffeta, sweetheart? No, the dress is taffeta. It wrinkles so easily. Oh. Oh, boy!